0: The Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor
1: Bob Labriola.
0: Okay, Coach, in just about every aspect, college players have a significant adjustment to make when they come into the NFL. One area where they might not have as big of an adjustment is in the area of crowd noise. For example, Dan Moore has already experienced Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Athens, Georgia. Kendrick Green has been in the horseshoe in the Big House in Happy Valley. Do you find that rookies from big-name
1: programs come to you with a foundation of how to handle crowd noise? It's an interesting thing. I was just talking to Pat about it uh, just the other day. And and the way I explained it to him is this. In college football, teams go to stadiums and they root for their team. In the professional game, they go to the stadium and they root against the opponent. And so they might have been in some environments but the intensity of it, the nastiness of it in professional football is a little different than in college. What procedure do college teams use you know, when they have to deal with crowd noise, kind of like what you're going to have to deal with today? You know, procedurally, from a practice standpoint, they do some of the similar things that we do in terms of utilizing crowd noise, working on a silent count. I'm keenly aware of it because of the close proximity that we have to the Pitt Panthers. And so they do similar things. Our guys have been in similar circumstances in preparation for this. But I'm telling you, man, when you're in a visiting stadium in the National Football League, uh, the intensity of the hate, if you will, um, is at a professional level, and it's something to be appreciated. What offensive position player
0: on your team plays the most significant role in the execution of the silent snap?
1: It, it's, really, it's really up to Ben um, in, in, in the center um, in terms of the execution of it. The, who, the people who are, are, are put in the most challenging circumstances are the tackles. And so that's why you see in, in, in many instances the false start game, it's almost always the tackles. It's those definitive passing situations where you know that the team or the opponent or the offense is passing, where defense alignment are really trying to get off on the ball that really test the offensive tackles in silent count uh, situations. And so they're challenged, but mechanically, technically, it's really on the quarterback in the center.
0: Do you only use a snap count when the quarterback is in shotgun? Or silence, silent count?
1: Whenever, whenever the crowd circumstances dictate. And so you go into games like this anticipating possession downs is going to be a factor uh, significantly. Uh, the first series, second series of the game, just the intensity and, and the excitement associated with the beginning of the game. We'll play it by ear from there. Uh, oftentimes the quality of our play determines the intensity of that silent count moving forward. We make enough plays early on, it becomes less significant, and that's something that we've been talking about and acknowledging through the preparation process. Can you get away with when the quarterback's under center just using regular cadence? Really, it just depends on how well you're playing. Uh, The score of the game, uh, the, the, the level of success that your offense is having in terms of moving the ball, you can quell the crowd with quality play.
0: Uh, in what ways does the crowd noise impact their own defense in a game like you're going to face today?
1: You know, I explain it this way. When we're, when we're preparing for home games, our defense works with crowd noise. Uh, their communication is strained. Um, believe me, it's a problem that defenses embrace. Um, it's a challenge. But it's a problem that defenses embrace because uh, they definitely want to minimize some of the things that come with offensive football, the adjustments that you have to make in in regards to crowd noise. It's a, it's a welcome adjustment from a defensive perspective.
0: Is there anything you can do to take advantage of that as the visiting team, knowing that their defense may be having trouble communicating?
1: Very little, to be honest with you. You know, you, you, you're going to open yourself up for errors, working at pace and things of that nature, trying to be in attack mode particularly in the early portions of the season. Um, we can simulate it. We work hard at it in a practice setting, but nothing is going to simulate exactly the environment we're going to be in on Sunday. So we're more focused on what it is that we do, the manner in which we, um, you know, uh, act according to that as opposed to things that we could potentially do to Buffalo's defense because they're in the same environment.
0: Uh, the Steelers family and the Pittsburgh community lost Tunch Ilkin about a week ago. How will you remember him?
1: You know, I remember those non-football moments, man. We had a formal relationship, um, but we also had a very informal relationship, man. I, I'm honored to consider him a friend, man. He came alongside me in a lot of things that were important to me. Uh, he was a mainstay in my man-up uh, initiative in terms of encouraging guys to be the very best dads they could be. He was the MC for that every year. Uh, just his general spirit, you know. Uh, you walk past Tunch. And you say, hey, good morning, how you doing? And he'd always say, better than I deserve. And that resonated with me, and i uh, I do it in return, and i do it with others. Uh, that's just the type of guy he was, man. He was a walking, talking uh, blueprint for, for all of us in terms of how to live our lives. A couple of days
0: ago, T.J. Watt signed a contract extension. Um, what's your policy with regard to involving yourself in negotiations and maybe in a behind-the-scenes manner and trying to help sides come to a resolution on things like that?
1: You know, I want the focus to be on football. And so I work closely with the, the player that's in the midst of contract negotiations, just talking about how they need to conduct themselves, where their focus needs to be, uh, educating them about the process, um, reminding them that they hired agents and so forth to handle the negotiations. It's a very personal thing for a player. Um, And so sometimes it's good to create a little distance for yourself for sanity and and let the people employed to negotiate do that. And so um, those are kind of the things that I try to involve myself in so that the player, you know, it's a repeat thing for me. I've been in this business at this level for a long time. Oftentimes, like in the case of T.J. Watt, man, it's the first time. And so I just try to be helpful to them in terms of information, in terms of what the process is like so that they can manage their energy and their focus and, and be right-minded in regards to their craft, which is football.
0: Last Tuesday at your news conference, when you were talking about Dan Moore, the rookie tackle who starts today, you said his floor was higher than anticipated from your perspective. What specifically were you
1: referencing? His general readiness, um, the skills that he possesses relative to his position, his hand usage, but more than that, um, his maturity, his mentality, uh, the way he takes in information and the quality in which he takes in information. He's a quick study. He almost gives you that vet vibe in terms of how he receives information, which is a great asset to a young guy, man. He's a quick learner. And that's what I mean when I, when I talk about his floor being higher than anticipated. Is that similar to you saying it's not too big for him? No question. No question. I just, you know, to me that's somewhat mystical Um, I I just I I like to talk in more tangible ways uh, the reasons why it's not too big for him Uh, he's a quick study uh, his skill level relative to his position uh, he came with a with a nice level of preparedness but oftentimes you know you get a three-year starter from the SEC um, you know that's the case And, and, and that's one of the things that's really attractive about guys that you know, kind of compete in that league and the reputation that that league has. There's a certain readiness associated with it. Do you think that the use of a spy against a quarterback like Josh Allen can be effective strategy? It's an avenue. Um, You know, some people like it more than others. It's good depending on who that spy is. I laugh oftentimes sometimes when they put a D lineman at the spy position who is not as good an athlete as a quarterback like, you know, (laughs) <laughs> is, is not good under those circumstances. It depends who who your spy is. I used to always feel comfortable when our spy was Ryan Chagier because Ryan could run down anybody. Um, but if the guy that you have spying is four or eight and he's chasing Lamar Jackson, you know, not so good. You might as well include him in the rush. And so there's a lot of layers to that spy discussion. How
0: does the use of a spy impact the other 10 guys on defense?
1: You know, it's one less guy in coverage. It's one pure coverage. It's one less guy in pure rush. And so there's some give and take there. Football is very mathematical. It's an 11-on-11 game. And when you start talking about quarterback mobility, you're talking about even numbers. So you have to rob Peter to pay Paul, and we've talked a lot about that this week in terms of where we're lacking when we're working to minimize Josh Allen's mobility. But that's the world we live in, man. We're, we're an AFC North team. We play Lamar Jackson twice a year and guys like that. And so we probably get more practice at it than most. That's the Mike Tomlin Show brought to you by
0: your neighborhood Ford store. Ford, the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm Bob Labriola. Bill Hillgrove, Craig Wolfley, Missy Matthews, and Max Starks are next as we count down to kickoff. You're listening to the Pittsburgh Steelers Radio Network.